Are you ready? Hello to all you fight fans out there, and welcome to another edition of the Ultimate Fight Show. I'm your host, LC, and with me as always is the Bragg man, Chris Bragg. How you doing out there in South Carolina? I'm doing great, man. It's uh, been a little cold here, a little bit rainy, but uh, I think I'm doing a little better than you are right now in Cleveland, Ohio. I'm glad you mentioned that because I was just about to say it's ironic that the guy in South Carolina is talking about it being a little bit cold to the guy from Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, we got a big show for us. The weather's over here. It's not as bad as they predicted it was going to be. They thought it was going to be 8 to 12 inches. It's more like 3 to 5 right now, but supposedly it's supposed to start snowing at 8 o'clock for the next 24 hours. So we will see what transpires much the same way as we're going to wait and see what happens this weekend with a couple really big fights. But first, as always, let's get to the particulars. You're listening to the Ultimate Fight Show. If you want to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Blog Talk Radio, etc., Brad, you want to hit them with our social media outlets. I sure can. Of course, Facebook and Instagram, you can find us at The Ultimate Fight Show. Twitter is The Alt Fight Show. You can follow me personally at The Bragman, and you can follow Larry at LC the Third. That's L-C-T-H-E-I-I-I. All right. First, let's recap a little bit of what went down. UFC Brazil, Belford Gaslam. This was a fight that... Uh, both of us thought Belfort was going to win. We weren't on the air last week, but we sent texts and Twitters that pretty much made it clear that we both thought Belfort was going to win, maybe for different reasons. I thought that the fact that he was fighting in Brazil where the testing is a little lax, he was going to maybe be a little eh, not so clean and maybe blow Gaslam out of the water. But uh, it was Gaslam that had the gas in the end, Bragg, and, you know, pretty much dismantled Belford and pretty much at the same time brought an end to, I think, his MMA career. Tell me what you thought about the fight and the outcome and what's next for both of these guys. Yeah, of course, I've always been a huge Vitor Belfort fan. Been one of my favorite fighters to watch really since the beginning. Uh, Kelvin Gaslam, man, he he keeps continuing to impress me. He he keeps improving. He seems to be evolving as a fighter, and I honestly didn't give him much of a chance. I thought Vitor having the home crowd behind him, knowing that this was probably his last run, was going to come out and with guns blazing and look like maybe the Vitor of old. But 
in the end, it was Gaslam who just completely blew out Vito Belfort just over a minute into the first round. I'm sorry, 352 into the first round. Swarmed him, took him out, and like you said, this could be the end of Vitor Belfort. I personally don't need to see him fight again. I think the man has done everything he can do in the sport. He's a Hall of Famer. Uh, great career. If we see him again, great. If not, again, it, it wouldn't break my heart to see him walk away at this point. I don't need to see him knocked out again. Yeah, it's the guy started when he was 18. He was a legit teen when he came into the ring and blew up Ferreira. Uh, I mean, uh, Ferozio, Scott Ferozio, the guy that beat uh, Tank Abbott. Uh, it, this is probably like UFC 9 or something, maybe UFC 12. And Almost 20 years every, ago. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what I mean. I, I, the, the guy's been through everything. He's been a pride champion. He's been a UFC champion. He's been a tournament winner. His sister was kidnapped and murdered, unfortunately, and he had that to deal with, along with the changing of the rules, et cetera, et cetera. Great career. When he retires, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. No questions asked. Gaslam, on the other hand, I finally, and you know this from the show, too, I've never been a big Gaslam fan. I always thought he was kind of like the dude who works really hard and everyone wants to say is athletic, but he's just quite not there. He's just a big kid. Now he seems to be coming in. He flirted with welterweight. He flirted with light heavyweight, middleweight. Middleweight seems to be where he needs to be now. His body seems to have acclimated to his frame. The speed was there. He was pumping that jab out really fast. And he's got a really good chin and will take you very far, especially when you add to that where he's at and his work ethic, which everybody I've never personally seen, but everybody who trains with him says that the dude's in, first in the gym last out now. So it seems like I think he could make a run. I, I'm going to say it right now. I think Kelvin Gaslam within two years is in the conversation for a UFC championship fight. I wouldn't doubt that one bit. As, as much as he's improved and at the rate that he's going, I, I could definitely see him getting a power shot in the next, within the next year and a half. It's that middleweight division. Once you get, you know, seeing what happens here with Bisbing and GSP coming up later in the year, it is a shark-infested division. So he's going to have a tough hill to climb. But I tell you what, if he can continue fighting like he is and has been. He definitely should does deserve or will deserve a title shot within the next couple of years, no doubt about it. Absolutely. Speaking of GSP and Bisbing, odds have now come out. GSP minus one fifty, Bisbing plus one twenty. So GSP is the favorite, having not fought in three and a half years, but retiring as an undisputed, undefeated champion. That that's about fair. I, of course, GSP was going to open up as the favorite. I thought he'd open up a little wider, but I think 150 is about where it needs to be. I mean, we haven't seen the guy fight almost, I guess, a little over two years now, right? And um, three and a half. Oh wow, it's been that long. Jeez. Yeah. 
So, yeah, definitely. I think 150 is very fair. I'm sure that'll shift a little bit. It'll probably end up being in the 250 range before the fight's over with. But this thing is going to be a live dog going into that fight, I do believe. But we've talked about it before. I even was my bold prediction of the year that GSP would be a champion at the end of the year. It, a lot of things can happen and will happen between now and that fight. So, and I'm sure we'll talk about it at length at that point. But I, th- I think minus 150 is pretty pretty fair at the moment. Yeah, I, I like that it's a, it's a I like that it's a reasonable starting point. I don't. Um, a few years ago when we first started the show, they had odds on Anderson Silva against GSP, and it was Anderson Silva minus 180. GSP plus 150, which was, again, about right. And so I'm glad they got the odds right. I actually think the odds are going to go down. The same way that I took Woodley over Thompson the first time, it's very it's very dangerous and it's very insulting to have a current reigning champion as an underdog against a guy who hasn't fought in three years and has never fought at this weight class. It's. I think that more money is going to start coming in on Bisbing the more they start promoting the show. I do agree with you that GSP is going to beat Michael Bisbing, but I think those odds are going to get real close. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping GSP becomes an underdog because then I'm going to bet the farm on it. But, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know. That's why I'm saying this kind of hint, hint. And, Everybody and there's the angle. So I, can get my, yeah, so I can get my good spread. Um, no, but, but uh, in other news, uh, Greg, are you aware of a girl named Mackenzie Dern? And if so, what do you know about her? I am not aware of her off the top of my head, but I always felt like the Mackenzie is pretty cute name, so I wouldn't mind getting to know her. <laughs> let, me, let me Google her real quick and see what... Alright, well, while you're doing... Oh, this, yeah. I, oh, yeah. She is, the, uh, she is the number one Brazilian jiu-jitsu fighter in the world. She's going to be making a move over to the UFC. She currently fights at 115 pounds, but is open to 125. She's 3-0. and and she's thrown out a couple challenges. She said that she would love to fight Ronda Rousey in a Brazilian jiu-jitsu slash judo match only, and that she would destroy her. Um, she's also, again, as you can see from the picture, and I'll describe the fence, she's pretty cute. And she's actually a legit athlete. I watched a video on her. Yeah, I watched a video on her at the um, the – I'm not as familiar with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu's tournaments, but apparently the World Championship of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, they do kind of what the UFC, I mean, Pride Grand Prix used to do. And at the end of their year, they have an open weight tournament where you can fight anybody at any weight. And she actually beat the heavyweight jiu-jitsu woman. You can watch the video on YouTube. It looks like the other girl is going to eat her. And she actually taps her out once, and then they fight to a draw. But it's pretty amazing to watch a girl who's given up 100 pounds almost just completely hold her own. 
I, I'm already salivating at the at the prospect of her in a year fighting Joanna uh, Janjacek for the title. That would be like the ultimate grappler against striker matchup. And they actually look pretty similar in frame. Bragg, what are your thoughts now, Kenzie Dern in the UFC, as soon as possible? Um, I, I'd love to see her anytime. Yeah, she's very cute. Uh, she's definitely a girl that the UFC can get behind and market. She's the type of, uh, type of personality that they're really going to love to really promote. And if she does make that jump into the UFC, into MMA, uh, she's talking a big game. Uh, of course, Ronda, all-world uh, judo fighter, uh, has great jiu-jitsu as well. I don't think that'll end up happening, but if she's as good as advertised, then I can't see it taking very long for them to promote her into um, onto television, into main events, and into title shots. Uh, definitely going to be following the following her career as she progresses into the MMA world, and I'm probably going to follow her on Twitter and Instagram as well. Fantastic. All right. Um, <laughs> I didn't really want to talk about it anymore. So I was just like, all right, cool. I uh, guess we're talking her now. Anyways, let's I'll try to know, get her on the show. Week, uh, <laughs> week six, Mayweather-Connor watch. Uh, odds have been posted on that as well. Floyd Mayweather at a mighty minus 1,200 to win 100 against McGregor or 12 to one to you math whizzes out there. Um, just again, they're there. We don't know what's happening. Floyd says that's the only fight he wants. Now you and I talked about it a little bit yesterday in our prep that, you know, you think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. Is this something we're going to continue to hear about until one of them fights somebody else or the fight is made? I think so. It's, it's gotten blown way out of proportion at this point. You, you've got the ca- most casual of fight fans, uh, even the most casual of sports fans, talking about this. I got stopped the other day and got asked the question, you know, is this fight going to happen? What's going on? You hear Mayweather every couple of days come out and say, let's sign it, let's get it done. McGregor, of course, talking his game. It, it's it's gotten so much bigger now than just the sport of boxing or mixed martial arts. It's it, mainstream media is covering it. It's and like you said, it's almost like week six of the McGregor Mayweather watch. And I, yeah, unfortunately, until it happens or it definitively doesn't happen, there's going to be news about this probably weekly. So I just think it's too big now. I think the Genie's sort of out of the bottle at this point that if it doesn't get made, it, it's really – I don't want to just say it's going to be a black eye, but it it's, could have a negative impact as far as people viewing the sport because remember how the perception was when Mayweather and Pacquiao, when they started talking about that fight years ago and it kept getting put off and put off and put off and – Fans began kept getting put off and put off and put off. And when it finally happened, 
yeah, it was huge, but it was a bit underwhelming as well. So I think a lot of these promoters probably learned from that. I think it will happen. They're talking June, July. I, th- I know you said that you'd like to see it in September if it's going to happen. I think it would be uh, – if it's going to happen, it will probably be announced, I'd say, within the next, the next couple of weeks so the hype can start happening, even more so than it has already, uh, so the preparations can start happening, the schedules can be made, the venues can be scheduled. I think we should know – if we don't hear anything, I'd say by – Tax day, April fifteenth. Or I'd say I'd say it's not going to happen this year. Yeah, it's um, everything that you said spot on as far as hype, et cetera, et cetera. The, the outlets now that are picking it up that would never normally cover either one of these guys. I think that the money is there. I think that <clears throat> what what a lot of people are having a hard time about, and I've gotten this from other people on the street or even some of my friends that they just at the end of the day would feel better about buying it. If they thought that McGregor actually had a chance, I mean, most you and I know that he has 1% of a chance and then that might be generous, but the average fan or the nobody that doesn't watch these sports needs to believe that he has at least a 10 or 20% chance for them to shell out a hundred bucks on pay-per-view to watch this, especially when you're limiting somebody who's a real fighter like McGregor. Like let's make no, you know, qualms about it. Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather in a street fight, Conor McGregor would whoop Floyd's ass. It wouldn't even be a fight. Um, And in the octagon, it would probably go about the same way. Although I, you and I talked about this yesterday, the fact that the variation in the gloves, Floyd could get lucky. If Connor was stupid enough to stand in the middle of the ring like he normally likes to do with that southpaw stance out there, if Floyd touches him with four-ounce gloves on, Connor's going to sleep in, in the octagon. It doesn't matter where it happens. Um, and the same is about true. I think more fans – let me ask you this so that I'm not sitting here talking for 10 minutes straight – do you think more fans could get on board or would you feel better about it if Connor was to take a boxing match, even in a gym, like a sparring session against the top 10 boxer? Well, it would definitely give fans something to see and something to latch on to. One thing we've learned from Connor McGregor the last couple of years with his emergence as the top draw in mixed martial arts is that he can talk the good game. He can talk a very, very good game. And he's going to talk people into buying this pay-per-view, whether they think he's got a chance or not. And Yeah, the promotion, the promotion and the shit-talking, the promotion and the shit-talking aspect of this would be on the level of, like, Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair in their primes at, before SummerSlam. When Hogan, you remember, I made a reference to this in our first year that we ever did the show. But one of the funniest things of all time, Hulk Hogan gets hit with a crowbar, his knees busted, flares in the ring. Hogan is coming from the hospital with the with the IV in, 
limping, <laughs> goes to the ring, fights him, puts Flair in the figure four with his boss. Dude, I mean, it's just the it was perfect television. Perfect television yeah. for a 12-year-old boy in the early 90s. And I think that this would be on a level greater than that as far as you got two PhD shit talkers. Like, legit. And in their sports, they back it up every day of the week and twice on Sunday. But the problem is is that they're fighting in one person's sport. At the end of the day, Connor's never going to be the boxer that Floyd is. And that's what they're fighting at. So, I mean, does it almost would feel better if they called it like uh, Rocky and Tarver when they fought, like an exhibition, not a real like they they do box and everything's real, but don't call it a real fight. You know what I mean? I I do know what you mean, and it's definitely going to be a spectacle. Uh, we've got you know you, t- you talk about pro wrestling and talk about the promotion that goes into that when and you've got WrestleMania coming up in a couple of weeks. It's just it really is. It's the it's gonna be the biggest spectacle probably we've ever seen, at least in this generation. It's two guys at the top of their games when it comes to talking the game going at each other. It's just gonna be it's gonna make for fantastic television. It's going to make for a fantastic spectacle and both of these guys are so smart and like you said and they have phd i love the way you call it uh you said it, they have phds and shit talking uh both of these guys know exactly what they're doing mcgregor in the back of his mind would have to know you know he doesn't have a chance to outbox floyd mayweather <laughs> I, I i dare i say that and I wouldn't want to say I would never speculate that the fix would be in or some type of uh, funny business would happen in that fight. But uh, to say that there wouldn't be some type of choreographed um, situation during the fight, no. before the fight, so, some type of I, – I, I don't know, man. What, like I said, At maybe the end before of the, day, the fight more so. But, but, but maybe the before of- the fight, but it's got yeah. You they've got to get in there and box, and that's where the yeah. talking is over. The game begins, I guess you could say. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to your you've never been in the ring at that level with someone at that level in a different sport. It, it's just it's it. It's legitimately like LeBron James being asked to go and play hockey. Similar, like, you're just not going to win. But I, I, I feel like, Bragg, I've solved, while you were talking, I feel like I solved the money problem for the UFC and how they could allow Connor to do this. I figured it out. I, I kind of don't want to talk about it on the air, but, you know, F it. Let's go. You charge... $20 pay-per-view for the press conference. One hour, anything goes. Because it's pay-per-view, you could do legitimately anything, and you give the UFC 100% of the pay-per-view buys at $20 a pop. I would pay $20 to watch those two 
talk shit, that's going to be more interesting than the fight. And at the end of the day, this is the only reason, because I, I was trying to figure it out. I was like, why is Floyd so fixated on Conor McGregor, a dude in, because remember when like Rousey was, they were talk, trying to get Rousey and Floyd and blah, 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 like just dumb stuff like that. And Floyd would always be like, I don't know who, who he is or who she is, blah, 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 blah. But with Conor, like he's acknowledging him. He's saying, I'd come out. And the reason is, you know, I'm going to quote Wall Street, you know, Gordon Gecko. A fisherman can always spot another fisherman from across the water. He knows that Connor's the same as him. At the end of the day, they love their sport, they love what they do, and they feel like they can both win. But what they love more is money. And these two dudes can put asses in seats, and pay-per-view numbers will rise. That is why this is still going on. And, you know, we'll see. What, I, I agree with you. I, don't, I think if we haven't heard anything by – by May 1st, I'll go a little further, that it doesn't happen. But the money, I think that there's enough global appeal because of where Connor comes from, from Europe, and, and they always, I mean, dude, we're talking about a place in Europe where they still have bare-knuckle fights and underground stuff. The, 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 the travelers go and fight, and they, get, they love fights. So you could legitimately, I think this could do Pacquiao Mayweather numbers because it's going to appeal to a different audience. Whereas with Pacquiao Mayweather, boxing purists wanted to see who would win that math matchup, even though it took place maybe four years too late. In this, it would be guys who buy WWE pay-per-views, the dudes who like going to truck rallies. You got, and then it would be all the European dudes. The you, would, you would appeal to a whole different demographic of, of uh viewers and I think that this would be bigger than Pacquiao Mayweather and I think Mayweather's people know that as well and I think McGregor knows this it seems and I think to an extent Dana White knows it I just don't think that they figured out a way how to get in on it and that's why they're holding everything up thoughts and then we got to move on no I agree 100 percent I I think there's in order for this fight to happen, there's got to be some t- sort of agreement, some sort of deal cut with the UFC uh, for them to get a share of the money. What, whatever that is, however much that is, I agree with you. I believe that is the roadblock that's in the way right now. It, but when it does, if it does, get cleared. Uh, well, baby, hold on to your hats because it's going to be a wild ride. Absolutely. Let's uh transition now into the boxing segment of the ultimate fight show it's time to talk a little sweet science here at the ultimate fight show um, we got a couple big fights coming up, but first, I would not be doing my job. I couldn't call myself a boxing expert if I didn't talk about or bring back. I, you know, I should have told you about this yesterday. We, we should have had clip from our show two weeks ago when we cut to Bellow and Pay, and we were talking about foot injuries and all that stuff with David Hay 
what the hell happened, dude? Are we psychic? He he tears his Achilles heel on the same foot that the toe happened against Crisco in the middle of a fight. Oh, my God. And he found a way to lose, and he lost the fight in Tony Bellows' wins. And I wish I would have put money on him because butts were both stupid, and we bought the David A. Kool-Aid again. Bragg, tell us what happened and just how funny is this? It, it, it's really not funny. I mean, let, let's just be honest, because I hate to see any guy, you know, get injured or hurt. But my lord, I mean, <laughs> he can't get out of his own way. Uh, not sure exactly what or when the injury happened, but uh, the fact of the matter is, he got himself, I believe, knocked out. In, what the fifth round was it? Fourth round? It was early. Yeah, it. it uh, there was a he again. He hurt himself. Went out there and fought, I guess you could say bravely, considering that in the end we find out that he did tear his Achilles heel, or I mean his Achilles tendon, but um, just all sorts of problems, man. I, 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 and now he's talking about a rematch after he gets back from surgery. Like, I, I'm go away. <laughs> David Hay, go away. Hashtag. I'm going to put that up. Well, let's not, let's not, um, you know, forget the fact, too, Tony Bellow actually broke his hand against David Hay in that fight as well. Mm-hmm. So, both guys are walking wounded coming out of that fight. Well, Bellow was going to – yeah, and Bellow was going to retire anyway. Bellow said that this was going to be his last fight, and now that he won, he's like, you know, he's getting that itch because the money comes that, – that's the hardest part about these sports, unlike with the professional team sports, is that – all it takes is one good win or an upset, and you can get that next big money fight. So maybe if Bellow's smart, he waits around for David Hay again, and in 18 months we'll all be like, wow, David Hay's 215. Look how ripped he is. You know, he looks good again. Maybe <laughs> this guy's training. Maybe he can fight. He'll, his people will put out a couple of videos, him hitting a bag or something, and all of a sudden David Hay's fighting for a title. And I think this time his leg's going to come off in the ring. The whole whole thing. And then finally... They might be be better off. You know, we talked about the spectacle and, you know, the the whole pro wrestling promotion. They may be better off uh, doing it like this over in Europe with David Hay and Tony Bello if they they wrestle again. If they fight again, but yeah, it yeah we start both of these guys. I, th- I think they're made for each other at this point. Um, yeah, I I think it's only natural for them to rematch. <laughs> yeah, it's and and, and it's going to happen, and we're all going to talk, which is crazy, and it's the definition of insanity. Anyway, hey, we got to um, have comedy relief, right? True, true. Well, these sports, I mean, again, they're idiot proof. You know, just like the NCAA tournament, you know, everyone complains about the brackets and the seating and who's left out. And it's like, at the end of the day, they play the, they play it and it's idiot proof because we're all going to watch it and it's all going to be great in the end. Anyways. Hey, just real quick before we move on. Yeah. Did you know that David Hay named his child Cassius? Yeah, actually I did. I didn't, uh, <laughs> I just, I don't want to talk about him again. And I try to okay, avoid it's over. Any, and no, no, I'm not saying to you. I'm just saying in general, I try to forget that I know a lot about 
his life because of the research that we've done. I mean, you know, we've been doing this show for five years coming up on five years now. And uh, so, yeah, we've, we've covered probably a half dozen David Hay fights at least. The best and, and the worst. <laughs> yeah. It just rarely ends the way you think it's going to end. Um, fine. I'll be honest. I hate David Hay. All right. There, I said it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> anyway, we got we got oh yeah, love to have him on the show. And it's finally we 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 talked about it a month ago, you know, how the beginning of the year in boxing was going to be kind of a slow slow little simmer and now we're starting to get to the big the big flame. Um Triple G Daniel Jacobs pay-per-view middleweight title. It's going to be everything that it's supposed to be. But first, let's talk about the undercard because you have arguably the best fighter in the world, pound for pound, depending on who you ask, in Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez, or as he's known now as the Little Drama Show. Um, Forty-six and 38 knockouts. WBC Junior Bantamweight stepping up in class again to take on – he was supposed to take on a guy named uh, Sasakit Sor Raganani, which is like the worst name I could possibly think of to ever name anything. Like I wouldn't call my excrement by that name, but somehow that's somebody's child. The, uh, the guy he's fighting now is named Wasaksil Waggett, who is from Thailand. He's 40-4 and four with one draw. He's also coming off of a knockout loss to um, Quadras, who is also on this undercard, and that was who Chocolatito beat in a close split decision in his last fight. Uh, you and I both like Quadros to win that fight, so that's why we're not really talking about it. But it's all coming full circle. Gonzalez, Waggett, I, I just don't see anybody beating Gonzalez, so I'm going to say Gonzalez wins by knockout in the ninth round. Bragg, who do you got? Yeah, of course, I got the little drama show. I don't think he gets it done much earlier. Uh, it's going to end up setting up that rematch with Quadras probably in the fall of this year, late summer. I think he gets it done in about the fifth round, knocks him out. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, now we're uh, we're going to go to the main event. We, we we got we got a little buffer for this. Oh, of course we do. goosebumps i'll never it's it's just one of the greatest i love the tradition of boxing in certain aspects but uh it's drama show it's gennady gonadonovich globoskin also known as triple g 36 and 0 33 knockouts 21 knockouts in a row and that spans nine years he's five foot ten and a half will we'll turn 35 years old in two weeks on April 8th and has a 70-inch reach, fights orthodox. On the other end of the equation, Bragg, we got Daniel Jacobs, 32-1, and 29 knockouts, including 12-0 and 0 with 12 knockouts in a row since Dmitry Pirog shocked him six and a half years ago. He's 30 years old. He's six foot 
He's 73 inch reach. This is for all the titles except for the real, the, the one that matters, and that's the one that Canelo Alvarez has that he took off Miguel Cotto, who took it off of Sergio Martinez. So it's the guy that beat the guy that beat the guy. But these two have all the other belts. So it's a smorgasbord of alphabet suit belts that mean nothing. But in this one instance, unlike with other people, it's not either one of these guys' fault. Triple G has been trying to get a fight with Canelo or with Co- with anybody who has the real middleweight title, and no one wanted to fight him. So you can't knock him for not being the lineal champion. Bragg, this is a serious fight. I mean, Daniel Jacobs is a full-fledged middleweight, as you can tell by the measurements, and that's why I brought him up, because Jacobs is going to have a two-inch height advantage and a three-inch reach advantage, and he's heavy-handed as well. How do you see this one going down on Saturday night? Yeah, this is a very, very good and very dangerous fight for both guys, uh, especially uh, Triple G. Daniel Jacobs is a guy who really, if, if you put these guys next to each other and look at the tail of the tape and look at each other's statistics, Jacob matches up very, very well against Triple G, and that's not something you say very often about any fighter on the planet. Uh, like you said, Jacobs has a size advantage. Jacobs probably is a little faster as, as well. He's got a lot of speed, very a lot, a lot of speed, and he's got some great power. Golovkin is just so good at everything. He's such a great boxer. He is the type of guy who he teaches lessons. He walks into the ring and classes in session. He's definitely going to have to use that and break out all the stops here to get to Jacobs. And I think one of Jacobs' weak spots, and I was, as I was reading about earlier, doing a little research, uh, to a man, every preview and review I read talks about Jacobs' chin and how it just doesn't seem to be as strong as it once was. And I agree. I think that's probably going to be the difference. I think Golovkin beats him early. I think you may see some um, – light for Jacobs in the middle rounds, but I think late in the fight, eighth, ninth, tenth round, Golovkin hurts him and puts him out with a TKO victory. Yeah, I mean, it's the popular opinion. I just looked at the odds because I was wondering why they weren't up on my gambling website, and uh, it's 8-1. to one. Triple G is an 8-1 to one favorite which seems very high to me. I, I feel like he should be like a four to one favorite, but eight to one is kind of just dismissing the fact that Daniel Jacobs is a world champion. This is a guy who's won at every level. This is a guy who has had life deal him some pretty hard blows and he's always come up on top. I feel like, with, and again, he's got 32 wins with 29 knockouts. This is a very heavy handed man. But I will agree with you, the chin department is what is preventing this fight from being a closer in the odds because we know Triple G can take a punch. We know he's going to walk you down and walk forward. We know from the Kel Brook fight that maybe he's going to let you hit him a little bit to make it a little more big drama show. But 
I don't know if he's going to play around with Jacobs because Jacobs isn't Kel Brook. He's not a blown-up 147. This dude's a guy who probably walks around at 180, 185 when he's not fighting. So he's going to be in there with a real guy that knows. And remember this. Remember what Jacobs did to Peter Quillen. You know, he blew up Sergio Mora. Not that the Latin Snake really had a chance, but this is a guy who, again, isn't afraid isn't going to be buying into the whole Triple G's invincible kind of thing. And I think it's going to be a live fight. I think that the Kell Brook fight gave a lot of people hope that there's a chink in Triple G's armor. The only person, the only person I have ever heard in my life who says that they want to fight Triple G and that Triple G's people back down from is the SOG, and that's Andre Ward. And he's the baddest dude on the block. He's the only dude that I've seen them be. And, and, and it's not even to say that they won't ever fight him. It's just that they didn't think Gennady could hang with him right now. And Ward couldn't get down to 166, which is what they wanted him to. This was a couple of years ago. Canelo says, yeah, I'm Mexican and we'll fight anybody. But they're going to marinate that Canelo Triple G fight. The, the earliest that's going to happen is next May. So... This is the biggest fight that could be made. It's the best fight that could be made in the middleweight division. And at the end of the day, I think we're going to get a really good fight for the first three or four rounds. And then I think it's going to be a body shot. Triple G's deadly to the body. The dude's always in the gym. He doesn't let the hype get to his head much the same way that, you know, it's almost like reverse Floyd Mayweather. Like Floyd Mayweather will tell you that he's the best on the planet, but he backs it up. Gennady's not going to talk shit, but he lets everyone else say that he's the best on the planet. Daniel Jacobs is a very, very good litmus test for where Triple G is. I think Triple G passes the test, and I think he stops Jacobs. Um, I see Jacobs getting dropped a couple times and getting up. I think this kid's got heart. Gennady's going to drop him twice, maybe like in the sixth and the eighth, and I think he gets him out of there in the tenth. And that, that's very fair. I, I think it's going to be a really good fight. I don't see this being a walk in the park whatsoever that some, we're somewhat familiar with seeing Triple G have. Daniel Jacobs, I think, is a live dog in this fight. I think he, under the right circumstances, he could really, really, really do something here. And And like you said, you touched on his story and touched on his history it he's a guy that you really really should be rooting for and, and i really am I, I i think he's got a great story he's a great fighter i just from an analyst standpoint though uh, tr- triple g is one of the best pound for pound fighters in the world arguably the pound for pound best fighter in the world uh, according to some some experts so I just I just think Golovkin's going to be too much, though, and I think it's you – know, I, I agree with you. You said the 10th round. I said somewhere between the 8th and 10th round. Um, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll get it done and get it finished. And, and, and the thing is, too, and it's nothing to knock, you know, Jacobs, and, and you, you, you touched on what I said about how he's a really likable guy. 
this is a guy that he was even on 60 Minutes. They did a they did a whole thing about his story because he had that uh, tumor that was on his spine. He didn't feel good one day, and they told him he was never going to walk again. And he had surgery, and and he was back in the boxing ring a year later. So I mean, it's a great story. He's 12 and 0 with 12 knockouts, and like I said, the first four rounds of this fight. I have noticed in the last two fights of Triple G that he's – and I don't know if it's deliberate or it's just the way that he wants to go, but he seems to be starting slower. And I don't know if that's to entice more opponents that they have a chance or if it's Triple G kind of trying to put himself into different situations because these other guys can't put him into those situations organically. I, I just know that – Jacobs in the first two rounds is going to have a legit shot to, to get to Triple G. If he doesn't do it in the first three or four rounds, then after, like, he's got to get his respect in the first two, and he's got to keep it up in rounds three and four. If he can do that, he can take this fight, and maybe he'll be the first guy to go the distance with Triple G in nine years. But we, and we haven't seen Triple G go into deep waters because he gets everyone out of there. And, you know, we might forget because of the outcome, but Kell Brook legitimately was only, I mean, it was, it was four rounds. I gave Kell Brook two rounds in that fight against Triple G. He normally doesn't give up rounds. And granted, Kell Brook was a fast welterweight, but Daniel Jacobs is faster than Triple G is. So again, could be live. If I'm, if I was going to throw money on this fight, I would much rather throw a hundred bucks to win 600 on Jacobs than to give up 800 to win 100 on Triple G. I agree oh. with that. I definitely, the, the math is definitely not in your favor there. And you made the comment about Triple G almost looking like he's been trying different things. And I think you're right. In his recent fights, he started off a little slower. Like he gave up two rounds to Kell Brook. It, it almost seems like he is. He's so confident in his, in his um, abilities that he is going in, trying a few different things. Maybe I'm going to do this. Maybe I'll jab a little bit more or less or, you know, switch. Down. Whatever the case is, I don't think he's going to be afforded that opportunity. I think Glockland is smart enough to know that he cannot take any chances with somebody of the caliber of Daniel Jacobs. And, and that's the other thing, too, that you've got to keep in mind, too. This is Triple G's first pay-per-view. They're finally, after years of HBO keeping him exclusively on their free HBO network for their paying customers. Now the world can pay to see him finally. So he's not going to, that's why Daniel Jacobs is such a dangerous opponent because this is, they need a guy who's going to bring out the best in triple G because the world now is going to be watching him for the first time, even though we've all had the pleasure of watching him for several half, you know, half a decade now. So, that's another thing. I don't think Triple D is going to let this thing end in one. You know, it's going to go a little while, and that means that Daniel Jacobs is going to get a couple shots. What he does with those opportunities, we don't know. That's why we're going to have to tune in. All right, let's make the transition to UFC fight night. We got a London fight night coming up on Saturday. Kim uh, Manawa against Corey Anderson in the main event. <clears throat> couple contenders, nothing serious. I'll probably, I, I don't know if I'll watch it live. I'll probably tape it. 
But uh, we got to do our job, so let's do it. We got three fights to cover. We'll start in the bantamweight division where Brad Pickett, 25 and 13, is dropping down a weight class to take on Marlon Vera, 8 and 3. This is a fight uh, legitimately could go either way. I like Pickett's heart. I'm going to take Pickett as long as he's not drained from the from the cut. I like Pickett to win this fight by decision. Yeah, I, I like Pickett also, but let's keep in mind something, and this is something we've talked about with fighters in the past. Brad Pickett has announced this will be his last fight. He's set to retire at the end of this fight. And as we've talked about it before, fighters tend to have one foot out the door or one foot out the ring or cage. They tend to mentally also not be 100% prepared for the fight either. I don't think that's the case here with Brad Pickett. He could easily work against him, but I think Pickett at this point is going to throw everything out the window, have nothing else to lose. I think he gets the job done. I think he gets a, a wide unanimous decision victory to go out a winner. Yeah, I also agree with that. All right, we got uh, Gunnar Nelson against Alan Jordan. Nelson 15-2, and two, Jordan 15-4. and four. This fight taking place in the welterweight division. Gunnar's been looking good lately. Jordan, it's a good test for him. I think Gunnar passes. I like Gunnar to win by knockout in the second round. I like Gunnar Nelson to win also. He's but the difference is I think he has to get Jobin down and get him into a position where he could submit him, and I think he does that in the second round. Absolutely. And uh, I, let's, let's have Buffer take us in. This is the moment UFC fans around the world have been waiting for. The main event of the evening, Jim uh, Jim Omanawa, 16-2, against Corey Anderson, 9-2. This fight taking place in the light heavyweight division. Bragg, why don't you break this one down for us and give us your pick? Yeah, Jimmy Omanawa fighting at home is going to be taking on Corey Anderson, who, of course, is coming into this fight, the superior wrestler. Uh, Manawa is 5-2 on the UFC roster. And he's going to have the power advantage here. He's definitely going to have the striking advantage here. Anderson is going to want to take him down and try to get him into positions where he can submit him or ground and pound him. I don't think it happens. I think Manoa is able to keep the fight standing because his, his grappling is good enough to avoid a lot of takedowns. The takedown defense is really good. Up against the cage and in the clinch, Manoa is going to be a little stronger. I like Manawa to win this fight by knockout in the second round. I think he – I'm sorry, yes, in the second round. Uh, I think he does a good job, like I said, avoiding the takedown. He able, he's catching Corey Anderson coming in and gets the job done in his home country of England, scores a big victory, and moves up into the, in the rankings. Yeah, I see uh... – I see Manawa getting the job done. I think it will happen in the first round. Uh, get a good win in there for his uh, in front of his crowd, home people and stuff. And uh, yeah, I like uh, 
I like him in the first round there. So that's our picks for that. Greg, let's make um, – oh, again, for our uh, – if you – the rankings, we normally had them out. We didn't have a show last week. We will have the, the rankings up by the weekend on our social media outlets, so stay tuned for that. And uh, the brag man, talk a little bit about something that he's working on coming up. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, uh, LC, for this opportunity. One thing I've been thinking about for a while is starting my own thing, starting my own podcast. Still going to be doing the Ultimate Fight Show. That's a priority for me, but I want to do something with a little more variety, something to cover a little more than just mixed martial arts and boxing. And I know we touch on that every now and then. We touch on other sports. We touch on things that are going on in life, but want to have a little more of a variety show, and I am calling it Brag Out Loud. And the show, my goal for the show is to have guest hosts on, and of course, Elsie is going to be joining me uh, very soon for an episode. I want to be able to do proper interviews with people in different aspects of life, whether it be entertainment, movies, music, whatever, uh, sports as well, local businessmen, just just to make it a real big show for discussions and topics for conversation. And what we'd like to do is give you a little bit of a preview of what you can expect from Brag Out Loud. And this conversation, this topic came from a discussion I had at work today talking about technology, how far it's come. The Internet, as we know it, has been around for a little over 20 years now about 23 years, and it's, technology has improved so much. Uh, talking about it with my children, the differences when I was 14 years old compared to my 14-year-old now, Elsie um, can talk on this too, and he will, about, you know, as a teacher, he sees the influence it has on students. I don't think the influence is necessarily all that positive. Elsie, I'll throw the question to you. Your opinion on technology as it's developed over the last 20 years, whether it be the Internet, smartphones, instant access to everything you could ever want, how do you think that has influenced our society? Well, I mean, this is a, it's a question that can be dissected from at least a dozen avenues. I mean, how has technology helped medicine? How has it helped innovation? How has it helped teaching in the classroom? I mean, like, there, there's so many different things that I think that it's been a benefit overall, but I think I know what you're speaking on, and it's like, you know, the negative side. It is kind of, it is kind of difficult to control what content is on the Internet, whether it's – and I'm not even talking about, like, the taboo or the macabre kind of stuff – or pornography. I'm talking about more like reliable sources, disinformation, that kind of stuff. People think that Wikipedia and these sites or things that they hear on Facebook and Twitter are actually facts when in fact they're not. You know, they're opinions. And that is the difference between uh, facts are always facts. They're not interpreted. They can't be interpreted different. That's why they're called a fact. And a lot of people today don't understand that, and I think that the root cause of it 
is technology, the internet, and a lack of understanding, and a, an over amount of believability in your fellow man. I think people are naive, and they give people on the internet the benefit of the doubt and believe them without actually doing their own research. And I think that that's also contributing to the problem. Brag? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the ability, for example, you or I, and I did this to prove a point. They didn't believe me. A gentleman didn't believe me at work. I could go on Wikipedia right now and edit any page on there. I, I it, It's yep. easy to do. I've done it. it they're, they're trying to get a little more controlling as far as what what are you able to do, but it's easy to put the information out there. I could go to Twitter and post the most obnoxious thing in the world, and a segment of the population is going to believe it. Uh, you know, we hear a lot of fake news is a uh, trending topic lately. Uh, it, it, it's it really is, and the the dependency that has come with that, like you said. I could go online, I could go to Wikipedia and find information about anything. Whether it's all accurate or not, that's the dangerous part. I could go to Google. I could Google anything. I could Google the Ultimate Fight Show, and I'd come up with our Twitter link, our blog talk radio page, Facebook page, pictures that we've posted, information about you and I. It, it, it really is. It, it's It's great because there's so much good, as you said, technology, the advancements in science, the advancement in um, you know, medicine. It, there's so much good that has come from technology as it's developed and the Internet. There also is the negative stuff, too. You mentioned the access, easy access to things like pornography. Can you imagine if you were 13, when we were 13 and 14 years old, and actually, I think I'm a little older than you, so let me let me say, if I was 13 years old and had the internet like I had now, oh my God, I, I can I can hardly imagine what my teenage yeah. years would have been like. I mean, the the excitement of discovering that first an adult magazine, let's just say that first Playboy that I came across, it's like, wow, that that was a seminal moment, in my childhood and of course i'm being well, that's it. Uh, you know over exaggerating you know, a little bit but it's there brad it's interesting that you bring that up because i think that you know a rite of passage has been lost on future generations i mean it's funny that you say that because i remember the first time i ever saw a playboy and it was always that older kid in on your street whose dad was like a way or like a trucker or something like that and the dude had the magazines, and you remember they smelled a certain way, and they were from the <laughs> 70s and 80s, and blah, blah, blah. And now, none of those kids experience that stuff. Now, you could be four years old and go in there and type in anything and see it, and no one puts it into perspective. You're not worried about getting caught. You're not worried about your it, it, It's a joke. I mean, kids now are throwing things at a younger age with less information and context for what they're seeing and that's the problem it, it, it really is and I try to stay in constant communication with my children and my wife does the same thing and and I'm sure you see it with your students as well it's, you, 
without trying to police what they're doing um, directly, you ask questions and you try to, you know, hey, is, is, it, have you, is there anything on your mind? You know, would you like to talk about things or how's it going? Because I remember I've got a 14 and a 13-year-old, and I remember as a 14 and 13-year-old how difficult it was for me. And I can only imagine with everything that's out there now how difficult my children are having it you know with that transition of a, a as a boy transitioning into a teenage boy and a young adult the the, the body changes the psychology changes you, you look at people in different ways you know you look at start looking at girls in a different way it's just it's an amazing time of life and it's such a difficult time in life and even moving away from that what a lost art kids these days will not don't know how to read a map uh my my children they don't know how to tell tell an analog clock because everything's so yeah. digital um, I, yeah i remember back i th- i want to think it was a social studies class i believe i was in 10th grade uh we took an entire semester and learned basic skills uh how to balance a checkbook how to manage bills uh, properly uh, write letters and just, just you know, Curse. basic life, yeah. cur- cursive, of course, basic life skills that kids these days aren't getting because everything's automatic. You type something into I a computer actually, program. Well, I actually have to yeah. teach a standard, and it, it and it's called MAP, you know, and the standard reads like children will be able to recognize symbols on a map. Children will be able to understand and show where longitude and latitude lines are children will be able to recognize a key and how to read it and i had to legitimately sit there for two weeks and teach these seventh and eighth graders how to do it because they everything you said is true they don't know how to read a real clock they don't know how to basic stuff that you and i learned when we were children are now assumed instead of being taught yeah, that's 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 really it's 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 the nature of this day and age, and I think it's a detriment to these kids because a lot of them will not know those basic things. You know what's going to happen if there's a major blackout and phone batteries are dead? You know you can't just open up your phone, look at Google Maps, and you know know how to get somewhere or uh, YouTube a video on how to make macaroni and cheese. Uh, you know, the simplest of things that, like you said, we take for granted and just assume that people know, kids aren't getting that these days. And I think that's the negative aspect of, you know, the negative impact that it's had on our society. But, again, if it weren't for the Internet and if it weren't for technology as it is, we wouldn't be able to bring you this show. We wouldn't be able to have access to you know, watch these great fights that are coming up um, this weekend. Uh, we aren't going to be. We would be able to, for better or worse, discuss the NCAA tournament or have be able to watch every game on that. And these are all minuscule things in the grand scheme of life. But again, there are positives. Don't think we're trying to, you know, talk negatively about it. 
But it's a, uh, it's definitely like you said. This is a discussion you can have from many different angles. And uh, we're we're just kind of tipping the surface, and we wanted to kind of give you a preview of what kind of discussion Brag Out Loud was going to bring you. Now, to get in touch with Brag Out Loud, to follow Brag Out Loud, it's simple as that. Brag Out Loud, B-R-A-G-G Out Loud. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I have a YouTube channel up. Uh, definitely go follow those social media outlets and get the information first on um, when the first proper episode. I know I sent you a, a demo, a preview of that. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to that yet, but uh, really excited about it. Really looking forward to getting in touch with a new aspect, a new, a new genre of fan and it's just an exciting time, and I appreciate the opportunity, LC, to uh, kind of put that out there at the end of this show here. Absolutely. Our pleasure. Again, that's brag out loud. Listen to it. It will be braggadocious, I can assure you. Um, <laughs> brag, let's talk a little bit about the tournament. It's on right now, uh, True TV. We got Mount St. Mary's up 18-15 to 15 on New Orleans right now in a play-in game. Correction, make that 20 to 15 Mount St. Mary's. But, uh, yeah, a lot of people, they said $10 billion is going to be wagered on the NCAA tournament in brackets and office pools, et cetera. Bragg, I know that you said that you didn't have a chance yet to look at the brackets, but I obviously have. So I don't want to give away, you know, what I 100% think, but let's just put it like this. I think at the end of the day, you're going to see a very similar championship game. Some might even say the same championship game (laughs) and we'll see what happens for those of you who can read between the lines. Of course, I'm talking about Villanova and North Carolina game ended on a great three point shot at the buzzer. We thought we were going to overtime and it just ended. Will the Tar Heels get redemption? And an even greater question, what the hell is a Tar Heel? (laughs) We can talk about that next week on the show. But, Bragg, anything you want to say before we get out of here? Uh, Well, just just looking at the bracket, I pulled it up now. Um, I need to actually officially fill mine out. But I I think the Villanova-North Carolina final is – I don't necessarily agree with it because I actually like Kentucky to come out of that South region. I like them to beat North Carolina in the Elite Eight to make it to the Final Four. But I, I, I'll, I really like Kansas. Something's telling me Kansas is going to end up being Kansas and Villanova in the finals. And uh, I'm really, if you had to, yes, yes, it has. And uh, I'm leaning toward Kansas uh, winning this year. Again, it's the tournament's always so much fun, uh, so exciting. It could go either way. I don't think I'll ever top my uh, 98% accuracy from three years ago on the Yahoo brackets, but I'll, I'll definitely uh, send you a link to my bracket when I get it filled out, and we can kind of uh, c- compare notes with against each other, and we'll talk about it over the next few weeks, but very exciting time for sports fans all around. Uh, I don't think there's anything better than the SCAA tournament, except maybe the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. 
Boo. Uh, last year I had 95% accuracy, 95% accuracy on ESPN. And although I love me some Coach Cal and the Wildcats, everybody is forgetting about Wichita State. They're a 10 seed. They really should be a 5 seed, and they beat Kentucky two years – or no, Kentucky beat them to go to the championship game and ended their undefeated season. That coach hasn't forgot. I predict that the Wildcats get beat in the second round by the Wichita State. And um, if you're going with – I know that you don't watch as much college basketball and all that stuff as me, but – if you really want to go with who the two hottest teams in the country are, it's the Duke Blue Devils and the Michigan Wolverines. And ironically, they met for the championship in 1992, the Fab Five against Christian Leitner and Grant Hill. But Michigan won four games in four days to win the Big Ten tournament, and Duke beat four teams. They beat Louisville, Clemson, North Carolina, and Notre Dame to win the ACC tournament. So those are the two hottest teams in the country. If you want to have some contrarian picks, so well that's that that's, is that's a, definitely a uh, those are strong those are strong picks. I'm looking at the uh, bracket now in that Midwest bracket. You've got Louisville. Uh, they'll get by Jacksonville it, State, it, of course. Uh, Michigan should beat Oklahoma yeah. State. That sets up a big time battle in the second round between Michigan and Louisville. I could definitely see Michigan yeah. running at least into the Elite Eight. Uh, it's it's going to be uh, – they they could make a big run here. Duke. I'll tell you, uh, I'll we'll tell you this, Brad. I, I, I told my buddy this the other day because he was asking me, you know, some gambling advice for the tournament and stuff. And every, everybody keeps focusing on the South, and they're like, oh, look at North Carolina, Kentucky, UCLA. That's the toughest bracket. I'm telling you whoever masters the Midwest is going to win their bracket. The Midwest, like you just said, Michigan, Louisville, Rhode Island won their tournament. They're a sleeper. Oregon went to the final four last year and just lost their second best player, Boucher, to a torn ACL, and they only lost by, to Arizona by three, despite having their second best player go down. They're a team that can make a run. Then you have the U, Iowa State won the Big 12. You've got Kansas, Michigan State. That is by far the toughest region is the Midwest. Kansas got no favors in that bracket. Now that uh, and I, I don't, I'm not sure if you mentioned Purdue or not sitting at the number four seed, but uh, they've got a With pretty Swanton, good run. Yeah, player of the year, yeah, guy. Yeah, I mean, they 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 could definitely be seeing the Sweet Sixteen uh, against Kansas, and that's that should be a hell of a game as well. I, like you said, the, the NCAA tournament is just such a great, great – I love the format. I mean, tournaments are great anyway. I I almost hate it that you've got these playing games now. It's a field of 68 now. Could you, and, could, you, could you imagine how much more exciting the NBA playoffs would be if it was one and done every single round? And I and I love that. I, I I love that one and done. It's winter go home. I mean, it doesn't get any mm-hmm. better than that. Uh, I think I think that's one of the biggest detriments to the NBA season is that I think it stretches out way too long. The playoffs take way too long to go. I, I would love it to be one and done or either uh, 
best two out of three and then best three out of five for the finals if you want to do that. But uh, well, yeah, and, and I, again, that's why any type of that, that's that's why we have a show that is boxing and MMA because every time you get into a real fight or what we like to call the man dance, it's a showdown and it's winner go home. Where and that's why this show isn't about basketball or football. Not that we don't love those sports. The format of having to deliver one time when it counts the most is the is what you know we we say in boxing baptism under fire it's what it's all about is one and done who cares if you have seven tries at somebody like in the nba finals and that's why the only other thing i like to do besides the man dance is watch the big dance boom corny joke time homie hey it it fits and it goes and I I really think the best the as far as series go, I think the best example of that is probably baseball because there are so many different variables with different pitching matchups. You've got exactly, you're absolutely right. That that one that that is where the multiple series and six and five and seven game series really do. That's where the magic is is when it comes to baseball. Uh, but then again, you know if we can have another seven-game series like we did with the Cubs and the Indians oh. last year. It's just a fantastic, uh, fantastic example of that. I, I won't break it up. I won't say anything else. But uh, I'll tell yeah. you. I'll tell you this right now. I think we're going to see. I told you before. I think this is the year of the rematch. We already had Clemson and Alabama did it again. Clemson got revenge. I think we're going to see Villanova, and North Carolina do it again, and North Carolina is going to get revenge. And I think we're going to see Cleveland and Golden State do it again. And I'm not going to say that Golden State's going to beat us, but I wouldn't be surprised. And I think the Cubs and the Indians are going to do it again. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Indians win. This is the year of the that, rematch. I, I can't argue. I can't argue any one of those predictions because, again, of course, the Warriors and the Cavaliers are easily the two best teams in the NBA. The Cubs and the Indians are lining, setting up to make other, more another run at that World Series. It's it, it's going to be good. And I'll not just, to mention, you know, bringing it back to boxing and mixed martial arts. We just had the rematch between Thompson and Woodley. We're going to get the rematch between Ward and Kovalev. It's you know we talked about uh, uh, Quadera and. Gonzalez rematching. It's you're absolutely right. This is 2017 is being shaping up to be the year of the rematch. And and don't hey, uh, oh 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 you forgot one too. We got we got Junior Dos Santos and Cleveland's own Stepe Miocic gearing up for a rematch as well. Well, next month you've got uh, when they finally get it on Cormier and Anthony Johnson. Exactly, and don't and and I'll say it right now. You heard it here first. Before the end of the year, before December, I suspect that we will see Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz do it again. Uh, that, that again, that's that's another one I can't argue with. Just a 2017. It's been a and, a good year so and, far. And John Jones and Daniel Cormier are going to do it again. Yeah, 
as much as I hate to say it, yeah, you'll probably see Jones get the title shot when he comes back too. It's, it, it is shaping up to be the year of the rematch. And oh God, oh God, hopefully. I got another one. Shevchenko <laughs> against Amanda Nunes is a rematch. Oh my God, yeah. Uh, oh, absolutely. Um, That's it. From now so, on, it's 2017, the year of the rematch. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's uh, and I'm sure if we delved into other sports, you know, I know, you know, with tennis and things like that, I'm sure we could find rematches galore there. I know the Venus Williams, Venus and Serena Williams rematched in the Australian Open finals earlier this year already. So, um, how far can we go with this? <laughs> I'm ready to stop. I think I think the fans. I think we've all had enough. But uh, it the was a great has show. Been made. <laughs> yeah, great show. Great to be back. Great to promote Brag Out Loud. I love the name. I think it's going to be fantastic. So, uh, on behalf of the Brag Man, I'm your host LC, saying thanks for stopping by for another edition of the Ultimate Fight Show. Good night.